What might it be like to live in his presence 24-7? What might it be like? Wrapping up series today we're calling Consumer or Consumed. And throughout a large part of the summer, we've been kind of battling the consumer mentality that, quite frankly, has invaded the church. I say combat intentionally because the reality is there's a very real battle for our worship going on. Those battle lines were drawn eons ago, and it's the battle that says, is it about me or is it about him? It's, it's I will or thy will. It's I want what I want when I want it, or what does he want for my life? What does he have in mind for me? And the bottom line is that Satan will do anything he can to, to win that battle because he knows that, first of all, God is the one who's worthy of worship. He wants it for himself, but he can't have it. God's the one that's worthy of worship. And ultimately, when we bring God the worship that he is worthy of, we're the ones that get blessed. And Satan doesn't want either one of them uh, to happen. If you've missed any of those messages, let me encourage you to go to info at bridgechurch.cc and get the manuscripts. In fact, even if you've heard them, let me encourage you to go get those manuscripts and read them and study, and, uh, study them. Take them and go teach a seminar somewhere on this subject because this is critical stuff for the church in these times. Get those manuscripts and read them. If you want to follow along today, then go to uh, the Bible app, Events, Bridge Princeton, and you can get all of the notes, all of the scriptures that we'll be sharing today as we wrap up this series. And if you say, hear anything worth uh, quoting, then do that hashtag consumer or consumed so we can see uh, what each other is posting, uh, tweeting and Instagramming and Facebooking and Periscoping and all that stuff that I don't know anything about. I already told you everything I know about it, and I don't even know what I just said, okay? Want to get into it? Let's look at our definition one more time. We've been looking at it throughout the series. You've got it memorized by now, right? You can close your eyes and just say it from memory. Okay, well, let's try it with the screens. Here we go. Worship is the acts and attitudes of wholeheartedly giving yourself to God, spirit, soul, mind, and body. We've been kind of unpacking that definition throughout the series, but there's one more part of this definition that we need to zero in on before we wrap up the series. By the way, next Sunday, we're starting a whole new series that we're calling Financially Free. If you know anybody that is in financial bondage who's struggling with getting out of debt, getting out from under, if they run out of money before they run out of month over and over again, bring them to church for the next four weeks, okay? Because we're going to help you figure out how you can get ahead and above uh, this thing called financial debt and burden. So what we've been doing throughout this series, though, is we've been unpacking this definition, right? So we've talked about acts. We've talked about attitudes. We've talked about what wholehearted means. We've talked about spirit, soul, mind, and body. So what's left in the definition? What is it that we are giving to God through these acts, through these attitudes, and giving him wholeheartedly? What is it that we're giving? Is it the 25 minutes that we sing on Sunday mornings? Somebody say, no, not just that. Is it our hand claps? Is it our hand raises? Is it our dancing? Is it our singing? Is it our giving? Those are all acts. Those are all things that we do to try to express our worship. But what is it that we are ultimately giving? What's the one word in the definition? Yourself. At the end of the day, worship is not about singing songs. It is not about giving offerings. It's not about playing instruments. It's not about all that stuff. It's about giving yourself to him. All of those are expressions, perhaps, that you have or that you're trying to 
But at the end of the day, it's about giving our self, because ultimately that's what God is seeking. John 4, 23, we've looked at throughout the series. Here we go one more time. A time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. That says God is not looking for worship. He's worthy of worship. Jesus said if we don't, the rocks and trees will do it for us. He's not searching for worship. What's he searching for? Worshipers. He wants you. He's searching for you. And hear me, not because he wants something from you, because he wants something for you. He wants to extend to you the opportunity to have a living, breathing, dynamic, life-changing relationship with the God of the universe. That's what he wants for you. And it amazes me how many people that I run into, uh, even people who go to church every Sunday, but they hold God at arm's length. They, They don't understand what it is that God is seeking when we say that God is seeking worshipers. It's sort of like the story I heard, maybe you've heard it, of the big boss at a company that that ran into a problem, didn't know what to do, so he called one of his employees who was responsible for that area, and and a little girl answered the phone with a whisper. She said, hello. The boss said, well, hi, honey. Is your father home? Yes. Well, can I speak to your father, please? Well, he's busy right now. Oh, okay. Well, is your mother home? Yes. Well, can I speak to your mom? Um, No, she's busy right now. Um, well, there, are there any other adults in the house? Well, the police are here. <laughs> and he said, uh, well, can I talk to one of the police officers? No, he's busy right now. Uh, is, is anybody else there? Well, the firefighters are here. Uh, can I talk to one of them? No, they're busy right now. What, what on earth are they busy doing? They're looking for me. God is searching for you. He wants a relationship with you. And sometimes you're hiding in the closet, afraid of him, when in fact all he wants to do is give you this amazing relationship. And hear me, guys, if you don't hear anything else, if you go to brunch on me, if Bojangles comes to mind, (laughs) hear this. Life only comes together in relationship with God. It it only comes together when we start saying, I want to walk in relationship with him. And then your desire to become a worshiper gets deeper and deeper and deeper with time. So today, I just want to lean into that. I just want us to talk a little bit about this idea of giving yourself, of actually living in the presence of God. To do that, I want to look at a biblical character that we haven't talked much about during this series. I'm talking about Moses, for those of you that are Uh, that are new to this whole process, those of you perhaps that are watching online. Moses was the leader of the descendants of Israel. They had been in Egypt for 400 years as slaves, and God sent him there to get them free from that slavery in Egypt and, and to take them across the Saudi desert to the place called Canaan that they referred to as the promised land, the land that God had promised to them, this land flowing with milk and honey and all kinds of riches. And God said, I'm going to give you that land. It is your land. And Moses' job was to, call, was to lead them out of Egypt across the desert to that place called the promised land. Here's the problem. They lost their battle for worship. They focused more on themselves than on God. They focused more on what they wanted or what they felt like they needed than on what God was already doing. 
And the result is that they found themselves very far from God and further and further and further away from the promised land. What could have been an 11-day walk across the desert went on for an entire generation, 38 years. Moses eventually goes up to the Mount of Sinai and receives the Ten Commandments. While he's gone, the, the, the children of Israel mess up again. They, just, they lose sight of the battle again. They lose again. And they, they take all their golden jewelry and make an idol out of it in the form of a calf. They start worshiping this cow. Moses comes down and that's what he finds. Now, don't be too hard on him. I'm going to get over here on this light. Don't be too hard on him because we do it all the time. I mean, we don't melt our jewelry down and make a cow out of it. But we have a boat in our driveway. <laughs> Come on. We just quit preaching going to meddling now. <laughs> Come on. We make idols of all kinds of things. So don't be too hard on these guys. We've got to be careful. We've got to guard ourselves against that kind of stuff because it happens all the time. Hobbies, myself, it's easy to fall into that trap. So Moses comes down from the mountain, discovers what's going on, and he, be, and he begins to pray. He begins to beg God to forgive them. Let's pick up our story in Exodus chapter 33. If you brought a Bible, you can look it up. It'll be on the screens. You can go to that Bible app, Events, Bridge Princeton. You can pick it up there. And let's, so let's read it together. Exodus chapter 33, beginning with verse 1. You ready? Here we go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your descendants I will give it. So stop right there. You got it? You see what's going on? God has said there's a land called Canaan. You call it the promised land. I promise that I'm going to give it to you. I promised your great-grandfather, your grandfather, your father, and, and I'm, I'm promising you that you can have that land. I'm going to do that. You with me? All right, let's keep going. And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, and the Stalactites, and the Stalagmites, and the Gesundheits. You want some more of the Parasites? You know, all those ites, all them people. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go, wait a minute, I will, I will not go up in your midst? What's God saying to Moses? He's saying, I'm going to keep my promise. I am a promise-keeping God. I told you I was going to give you that land, and I'm going to give you land, but I ain't going with you. I won't be there. Lest I consume you on the way, for you're a stiff-necked people. God's saying, you don't deserve it, but I made a promise, and I will keep my promise you go to the promised land, but I am not going with you because if I do, I will be constantly reminded of how often and how consistently you lose this battle for worship. I'll be reminded of how self-centered you are, and I might just give up on you and take you out. Kind of reminds me of when I was a kid and I'd do something bad, and my dad would get so mad, he'd say, boy, you know what it, Boy, you go to your room right now. You go to your room right now. And I would say, oh, but Daddy, I want to stay here with you. What I was really saying is I want to stay in this room where there's a TV, but, you know, I, 
I want to stay with you, Dad. And my dad would say something like, boy, I'm so mad at you right now. If you don't get out of my presence, there ain't no telling what I'm going to do to you. You, you, you tracking? I'm the only one that had a daddy like that? Come on. It's true. God's saying, I cannot be in your presence while you continue to be this self-centered. I can't be there. My holiness demands that there be a distance until you turn back to me. So go. I'm going to keep my promise, but I won't be with you. So you got the setting, right? Do you hands like this if you got the setting. Here's the context for the prayer that Moses begins to pray, powerful four-part prayer. I want to just kind of unpack it for you a little bit. Somebody said I use that word unpack a lot. I do. <laughs> I want to unpack this prayer for you. And then quite frankly, before we leave here today, I want us as a church family to pray this prayer together. Okay? Is that worth a few minutes of our time? If it's not, God bless you. Go to Bojangles. Eat a biscuit on me, okay? You didn't leave, so let's get into it. Four parts to this powerful prayer. Part number one, Lord, remember now Moses is praying to God who said, if I stay, I may take you out. And Moses says, Lord, please show me your ways. Exodus 33, 13 from the New King James. I pray if I have found grace in your sight. What's that word, grace? Grace is the undeserved merit of God. We didn't earn it. There's nothing we can do to get it, but God gives it to us. And Moses says, please, God, be gracious. Be forgiving. Please, if there's any way that I can have your grace, please show me now your way. Now, understand, Moses is having a personal conversation with God. And he didn't lose the battle for worship. He was on the mountain communing with God. He's up there getting the Ten Commandments to bring them back to the people. He didn't lose the battle. He's, he's, He's interceding for the nation. And he's and so Moses can ask God for anything at this point. He can whatever he wants. But he didn't ask for stuff. He didn't ask for food or clothes or success or anything else. What does he ask for? He asked God to show me how to live. I want to do life your way, and then I want to help this nation learn how to do life your way. Had a young man come to me one Sunday morning, no church background at all, didn't know anything about the Bible at all. He came to me one time and said, Pastor, can you you recommend a Bible for me? And uh, he said, I've got one my grandma gave me, uh, but I think probably there's a newer version out. And, And I thought maybe he meant King James or something, and he wanted something more current translation, so I started to recommend it. He said, no, no, no. Yeah, I, I, I know that. He, he said, this is the old style where they separate the, the Old Testament and the New Testament. They don't do that anymore, right? Yeah, they still do that. They, they still do that. So that's where this kid was, right? So he comes to me one Sunday morning. A few weeks later, he's got his Bible and a notepad, and he says, okay, pastor, I have made up my mind. I want to do life God's way. Tell me what to do. And I said, it might be a little more involved than let me give you a list on your pad right now. You see, Moses knew something that young men didn't know. He understood that it wasn't going to get done by God saying, go there, or God giving him a list. You remember when we used to go to stores? I mean, think real hard. Remember when we used to go to stores, and you ask an employee where something was, and they would say, come on, I'll show you. 
and they would walk you to the place and point it. And, and nowadays, I mean, if that happens, it's been so long since it's happened, I feel guilty that I'm taking up the employee's time, that they're having to walk across the store with me. But as many a time, the employee would say, yeah, it's right over there on that shelf. And I would go right over there to that shelf. I don't see it. See, pointing doesn't get it done, and Moses knew that pointing wouldn't get it done. Show me implies, as you go, I will follow you. Moses is saying, I want you to go on this journey with us, and as we go, I know that you will reveal the safe path step by step. I don't know what the future holds, but you do, and I want you to be our guide. When I was a kid growing up in Michigan, <coughs> we, uh, we used to go to summer camp in Kalamazoo, western side of the state. I was from the Detroit area, and we'd go over to Kalamazoo for, for youth camp. And one of the activities that they had at that youth camp was, was a relay race or, or, a, or, a, or a, 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 just a, a race. And uh, they pair us up, and one of us they would put the blindfold on, and the other would be the guide. And so we'd be all paired up, and, and whoever got from the starting line to the finish line first won the race. Well, you got a blind person and a guide person, right? Here's the problem. The, between the, the starting line and the finish line was woods. And so... I, being the brave, intelligent, entrepreneur, adventurer that I am, as soon as they would say go, I'd take off. I didn't listen to a word the guide said. And it took me about four steps to run into a tree. Oh, and I'd roll off of it and I'd go for another one. You know, and I'd hit another one and I'd fall down and I'd get back up. And the guide said, dude, just slow down and I'll tell you which way to go. I didn't trust him. And so I just bang all over them trees, and somebody else would beat me every time. You know who beat me every time? The guy who slowly said, okay, which the guide would say, take one step forward. All right, now turn to the left and take two steps. Now turn to the right and take six steps. And then turn to the right and take one step. That's the guy that won every time. Why? Because he trusted his guide who had eyes that he didn't have. Is it? Is this making any sense? Moses is praying, God, I, we've been running blindfolded. No wonder we keep messing up. No wonder we keep complaining. No wonder we keep doing all kinds of stuff. No wonder we keep losing the battle. We keep bumping into our own selfishness over and over again. But if you'll be the guide, we'll follow your directions. As you show us, I will show them. Moses had finally come to the place that Solomon came to when he wrote in Proverbs 20, 24, the very steps we take uh, come from God. Otherwise, how would we know where we're going? So can I pause just a second and ask you a personal question? You don't have to respond, but think about it for just a moment. What, what, what guidance do you actually need from God right now? I mean, do you need him to give you direction for a major decision in life? Do you need him to, to show you whether or not a relationship that you're in is healthy or not? Or how to get out of an unhealthy relationship? Do you need him to show you how to handle your finances in a way that you're not constantly fighting over money in your marriage? You know what's the number one issue that married couples fight about? It's money. What, what is it that you need direction from God for let's be honest guys we all have this tendency to think i got this lord if i need you i'll call you and we're bumping into trees all the time 
saying, oh, man, it hurt. Because here's the problem, guys. You may think you see what's coming on, but every one of us have blind spots. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. You ever been one of them four-lane roads and you're about to change lanes and at the very last second somebody toots the horn because there was a guy in your blind spot and you were about to cut him off and you didn't even see him? You're about to crash and you didn't even know he was there? Guess what? We all have blind spots in life. You've got to have somebody that can see the whole deal. What if you had a guide who's seen your life from beginning to end, who's willing, not willing, longing to show you the safe path? What if you had somebody like that and all you had to do was trust his instructions and you'd get to win the race? What if there was somebody like that? Proverbs 3, verse 5, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Hear me, guys. i got to move on, but life is so much more painless and productive when you commit to live your life in his presence, when you give yourself not just your 25 minutes of singing on Sunday, but yourself to him and you live in his presence and you trust him to show you the way. Got it? Got it? Do we need to unpack that some more? You, you got that one? There's, there's three more parts. We may be here till second service arrives if you ain't got it. Got it? Ready for the second part? Part one is, Lord, I want... You to show me the way. Part number two, Lord, I want to know your character. Verse 13, show me now your way that I might know you. Here's the nature of trusting a guide. When you travel with someone and they are giving you instructions, the navigator is giving you instructions, you don't just learn the right roads to take. You don't just take the, learn the right paths to take. But over time, you learn the person who's providing the direction. Does that make sense? Some of you uh, who are long-termers in eastern North Carolina know the name Dr. Herbert Carter. He's been my uh, spiritual father and mentor for many, many years. Dr. Carter did my father's funeral. My dad died when I was 19 and just entering ministry. And Dr. Carter did his doctorate in church growth at Fuller Seminary in the days when I was just coming up in ministry. And I traveled with him a lot. I, I would just kind of be an armor bearer to him. I would just travel with him and help him. And, and when he taught, and he would come to the Philippines when Kim and I were there and we'd travel together. And, and, and he, he would tell me what he was learning. I got a doctorate in church growth without ever having to pay the tuition. That was pretty cool, right? And so I learned a lot of stuff about how to grow a church from Dr. Carter. But, but far more importantly than that, I got to know the man. I got to respect the man. You know, there are people sometimes you see them from afar and you think, man, I'd really love to meet that guy sometime. And then you finally get a chance to meet them and it turns out he's a jerk. I mean, you ever? Well, that isn't what happened with Dr. Carter. The, the more I knew him, the more I, I loved him. Uh, are you seeing any kind of spiritual parallel to this yet? You don't have to worry about God being a jerk. You don't have to worry about God beating you up. Yeah, somebody has convinced us somehow that God is the cosmic killjoy. He's the eternal police officer with a big stick ready to get you 
That's the image that the world would have you believe. The truth is he's a loving father who wants only good things for his children. And the more you ask him to show you the way, not just point the way, but show you the way, and the more you travel with him in his presence, the more you know him. So what's Moses praying? He's praying, I don't ever want to be satisfied with how much I know about God right now. I know you some. I want to know you more. Like Paul who prayed near the end of his life, after years of serving the Lord, of uh, of planting churches, of writing scriptures, even receiving divine revelation that became part of the New Testament to this day, he still prayed, Philippians 3.10, I want to know you, Jesus. I want to know the power of your resurrection, and yes, I want to know you in the fellowship of your sufferings. I want to know your power, but I want to know what makes you hurt. I want to know you intimately. Hear me, guys. God wants very much for you to know him intimately. And the more you know him, the more you will love him. And the more you love him, the more you will trust him. So what is God showing you about him these days? Is he showing you more about his grace so you can get off the guilt trip? Is he showing you more about his peace in the storm? Instead of you yelling at God, why am I going through this? Why, why, why? He's saying, let me show you peace in the midst of the storm. Is he showing you his peace? Maybe you've been told so many lies about God, you're confused about who he is. And he's showing you who he really is. What is it you need God to show you about himself? His love, his joy, his peace, his gentleness, his goodness, his self-control. Wait a minute, that's the fruit of the Spirit that I get. Yeah, who do you think is the source of the fruit of the Spirit? Those are the attributes of God. Ultimately, Moses came to that place where he said, I need you to show us the way because we keep messing up over and over and over again, and I'm done, I'm tired. I really want to show these people how to do this thing. So show us the way, but don't just show us the way. Show us who you are. We want to know you. But then he takes it to a third level in the prayer. He says, Lord, I want to not just see the way to go, not just know who you are. I want to live in your presence every day, every minute of every day, I want to do life with you at the center of everything. In fact, Moses wanted it so badly that here's how he prayed that prayer. Look at verse 15, Exodus 33, 15. If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Do you get that? You you understand what he just prayed? I know that you've been promising for hundreds of years <coughs> that we would go to this place called Canaan, flowing with milk and honey, this abundant, wonderful place. I know you've been promising that, but if you're not going to go, I don't want to go either. So, can I get personal for a second? When you get a an opportunity at work for a promotion? Do you stop and say, Lord, are you showing me to take this? 
Is this going to help me to know you more? Because if, if you're not going with me, I don't want the promotion. I don't care how much the raise is. Hello? You, you meet somebody, they seem really nice on the service, and you think, hey, th this person could be a really good friend. I think I'm going to build a relationship. Do you stop and say, Lord, show me before I get into this relationship whether it's a healthy thing or not, whether this is a person who shares my value with you at the center? Is this somebody that will help me move into you, know you better? Because if you're not going with me into this relationship, I don't want this relationship. Singles, are you listening? Lord, if you're not going with me, I don't want to go. I don't care how good it looks. I don't care how attractive it sounds. If you're not going, forget about it. I'm staying with you. Can, can, I, get, can, I, get, can I get pastoral for a minute? Can I get, just personal, okay? I don't know if they got scripture for this. It's just personal kind of feeling. You know what I think the number one obstacle to living in God's presence is these days? It's this wonderful thing we call the American dream. This American dream that many of us grew up in and we've raised our children in has created so much pressure that we're constantly pressing to what have I got to do to get to the next level of the American dream. Futurist David Zach actually calls it hyper living. We need to do more and more things with less and less time available. And it's just become a culture. It's become a lifestyle for all of us. <clears throat> Come on, don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. We're driving to work in the morning and we're eating our breakfast and drinking our coffee and putting on our makeup in the mirror and texting all at the same time. And somebody who passes by blows the horn, we make friendly gestures at them while we take another sip of our coffee. You know, stuff like you're number one. Things like that, you know. When we get to work, we used to have to-do lists, and then we went to Palm Pilots, and now we got smartphones that have so much computing power, it's more than NASA had when they sent the first moonshots out. And we put a question in that machine, boom, 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 and we hit send, and, and our question goes to outer space. It bounces off of a satellite. It searches the entire planet for the answer to our question it finds it it sends it back to that satellite and back to our phones and if it takes more than three seconds we're going what's wrong with this thing come on I'm saying give it a minute it's going to space you know I remember when you had a question you went to the library and hoped they had a book and if they didn't, they had to check the other libraries and get a book brought in. It took two or three days. And we were excited. <laughs> Ten seconds. This stupid thing's broke. I'm going to upgrade to version nine or something. <laughs> right? Then we're on the way home from work. We get to the grocery store, and there's only two checkout lines available, which makes us mad to start with because we got stuff to do, and so what do we do? We survey the lines to see which one's shortest. 
And then we figure out, well, this one's a little shorter than that one, but she's got more stuff in her buggy than he's got in his buggy, right? And then we start saying, well, okay, which one of them looks like a couponer? I'm not going to get in that line. And so you finally figure out which one is the shortest line, fastest line. You get in that line. And if you guessed wrong, you get depressed. <laughs> oh, man. I didn't see they had stuff under their cart. That's more than 12 items, and they're in the express lane. then we get home and we teach our kids the same philosophy. Okay, kids, let's see who can get their bath the fastest. Get your homework done quick and you can play video games. Let's go. And then we go on vacation and we go so hard on vacation, we have to come home and rest. So when we finally do sit down and we open our Bibles to say, God, show me your ways, show me your character, I want to live in your presence, we fall asleep. (laughs) Hear me, guys, the American dream is incredibly expensive, and I ain't talking money. Understand me now, please understand me. God wants to be in your life so badly. He'll accept whatever part of your life you offer him. He will. But hear me, he wants to be your guide through the woods. He wants to teach you about himself. He wants to do life with you every moment. But he's a gentleman He will not force himself on you. So he sends guys like me to come and beg you not to settle for less than walking in his presence. Can I tell you that from the first time I tasted life in his presence, I've not been satisfied with anything less ever since. And when I... I recognize that a consumer mentality is rising up in me. I'm on my face praying again. Oh, God, if your presence doesn't go with me, I don't want to go. I've even seen the American dream influencing the church. I mean, I talk to pastors all the time who are depressed because their church isn't growing as fast as somebody else's church. Church members who are so busy doing the work of the Lord, they stop focusing on the Lord of the work. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting we stop growing. I'm not suggesting we stop serving. Every number is a soul, and every soul has an eternity. And, and, and I'll just be blunt with you. I see our church doubling over the next few years because there's such an incredible harvest that desperately needs to be gathered. But here's what I'm trying to say to you. If we get so busy with doing the work of the Lord that we miss Him, what's the point? If we get this big old church, thousands of people everywhere, and somewhere along the way the Spirit of God left the building, what have we got? We got nothing. Oh, God, we want to reach this harvest. Oh, God, we want this church to grow because so many people desperately need you. But please, if your presence doesn't go with us, we don't want to go. 
We won't go. Is anybody with me on this one? Yeah, we're going to do everything we can to win as many as we can until he comes, but not at the sacrifice of losing this battle for worship, which brings us to the fourth part of Moses' prayer. Show me your ways. I want to know you. I want to live in your presence. Lord, I want to see your glory. Verse 18, please, Lord, show me your glory. That word glory is not one that we use every day in common language, but we perhaps kind of know what it means. It's from the Hebrew that means kabod, that means splendor. It means magnificence. God, I want to see the fullness of your magnificence. When Moses came down from the mountain, he had seen the magnificence of God, and his face glowed so brightly that people couldn't even look at him. God, I want to see your magnificence. Um, but not for me. Not so I can say, ooh, that's nice. That's cool. I see his magnificence. Isn't that awesome? Not for me. For a world that desperately needs to see it. Anybody agree with me that the world has just about gone crazy? I mean, I turn the news on every day and go, What? Now there's a group trying to get rid of Father's Day because every family doesn't have a father. They want to call it the Special Person's Day. (laughs) I mean, it's just the craziest thing in the world. Hear me, guys. The answer to the craziness of this world is not a political solution. It is not right or left, Republican or Democrat. The solution to the world is the glory of God shining around this planet. (laughs) so why do we pray show me your way because it's the safe way why do we pray lord i want to know you because there's so many lies about him out there we need to cut through it lord why do we pray i want to walk in your presence because it's the best way to live but at the end of the day the reason we pray those prayers is ultimately god i want to see your glory shining across the world and if I have to sacrifice a piece of the American dream so what if I have to consume a little less so what if the world will just come to know who Jesus is then it's going to be a better place for all of us and so we close this series with a simple prayer that we've prayed throughout this whole series. Lord, I bring an offering. I'm the offering. You ready to pray that prayer? Let's bow together. I want us to pray the same prayer that Moses did together. You can pray out loud, you can pray silently, but I I really want us to pray this together. You can unpack it in more detail in your own life in terms of what it means in your own private devotion, but for now as a church family, I want us to simply pray Moses' prayer. I'll say the phrase, you repeat it, okay? 
Lord, show me your ways. Lord, I want to know you. Lord, I want to live in your presence. Lord, I want to see your magnificence all over the world. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in our hearts. Thank you for helping us to understand the battle lines for worship. Would you scan this room right now and see our hearts seeking worshipers in spirit and in truth and see me. See us. Be glorified in us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? There'll be some prayer team people down front after the service this morning. If you need to pray with somebody today about any of these things or anything that's on your heart, please take advantage of that opportunity before you leave this place. But at the end of the day, let's go from this place knowing that if we walk in his presence, we'll get to see his glory. Father, thank you for this chance to be together. Thank you for the way you're going to use us as the church leaves the building and becomes the church, the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. See you next Sunday.